Okay, welcome to another episode, sporadic episode of the of uh, the Greater Storage Podcast. We wanted to record an episode. We're recording this on the 28th, so just a few days until the new year. And everyone's sort of doing year-end reflection. That it's, it's a great time to do that. And so David and I thought it'd be great for us to do that as well. The way that I've been doing it with my own clients and, and, and my own planning is the simple sort of retrospective, right? Like what worked, what didn't work, and how can we improve? And I think there's no reason to make that more complicated. I think that's just a good way to look at how the year went and also looking at it, not just in work per se, but also in different areas of our life. And so I think that would be interesting for us to talk about. I don't know what Dave's gonna say, what worked or didn't work on his side. So I'm curious to hear. But I think a, a caveat for me, and I'm, I'm writing a version of this too, but what I wrote is, I feel like my year started in March of 2020 and it's ending in December 2021. <laughs> like, I don't know what I would have said at the end of last year. It's like, we're doing our best. We're not vaccinated, but Delta is around. And I think we're all just gonna, something's gonna happen. Like it was a really scary time around now in December of 2020. And I don't know, I, I wouldn't have even begun to process what's happened last year. I, I was trying my best at it. I don't think it's until this month, really, I can actually start to see some arc of a story or arc of making sense of what's been going on. How is there a different marker for you than January 2021? How how does it feel for you, Dave? I think it's so interesting because I feel like at least for me, I've had definitive chapters that are mostly around like geography. Because mm-hmm. when we when Corona started, you know, we were in Atlanta, and then we moved in 2020, December 17th or 19th, right. 2020, to Oregon. So we started another chapter. In the new year, yeah, you know, yeah, in Oregon, and then we moved again in you know September of 2021. So yeah. we've had, you know, I was writing my like what worked, didn't work based on the chapters. Oh, interesting. That I felt, yeah, <clears throat> but I'm sure for most people that stayed, you know, where they are and didn't make any moves, it must feel like a, and what's that Jim Carrey movie? Which one? Damn, I can't remember what it was. Truman Show, where he like wait, yeah, Truman Show. Yeah. So like you think if you didn't move, you would have still you would have felt like it's this long sort of like 18 month thing. Or do you feel oh, like I can't I honestly can't imagine. <laughs> yeah. Being in Atlanta for the last last two years almost, I guess. Yeah, that's yeah, it's actually kind of un- inconceivable. Just given the amount of places we've been since then, it's like, yeah, to have stayed put is yeah. like, yeah, actually like puts me in a mind place that may, probably a lot of people are and have been experiencing. Yeah. It's also, it must feel so bad. I also know personally for you guys, like the last month before Omicron, I think like like the four weeks before it really started happening, you guys were traveling almost every weekend somewhere. Either yeah. you or your wife yeah. was traveling somewhere. It's like, and now it's, yeah, we're all sort of staying put. But I had, yeah, I, I mean, part of it is I had nowhere to go except this 600 square foot apartment in New York and just sort of hanging out here. And we <laughs> we, we were locked down first. We dealt with it first. We opened up a little bit more, like open, close, open, close. Like it's it's sort of happening. And so it feels static, but my chapters definitely go from this huge pivot of work and, and everyday life that sort of changed. And so in that way, it's, it's, there's definite chapters, but yeah, that's, uh, that's super interesting. That's, why don't you start? Why don't you start with uh, what's worked? We'll start off. We'll start mm. good news first okay. before bad news. Okay. All right, let's get into this. So my, yeah, like I just said, mine kind of fall into these like categories, but from a geography standpoint, moving to Corvallis in a lot of ways worked for me. Corvallis, for those of our listeners who don't know, is a very small town in Oregon. I think the population is less than 60,000 people. It's really a college town. But uh, I think the move afforded me the ability to kind of like really focus around my business and around my health in a way that I hadn't really done before. And I think because there are zero distractions, I mean, this was still like peak COVID. Mm-hmm. So there are no distractions mm-hmm. and the city we're in is very, what's the word, cautious around COVID. So, you know, like we really couldn't do much. I think that really worked. Moving to San Francisco nine months later also worked. I think this one opened us up, right? Like literally opened us up 
but also opened us up to possibility. And I think the biggest thing was changing the calculus around decision-making mm. or just, just life in general. Yeah. Like, I think it's so, it's so easy to make decisions in life around what makes sense or doesn't make sense versus a myriad of other reasons yeah. why, you know, you'd do something. And I think, yeah. Could I add that the transition, I feel like the transition or the actual logistical moves to San Francisco was also what worked. Like there were mm -hmm. some bumps in the road, but overall it was a really smooth transition actually doing another move. Would you, would yeah. you agree? Yeah. Yeah. All things considered, you know, we made it there safe. Our shit didn't get broken into, but it was, it was, yeah, it was pretty seamless for all, th all things considered. Okay. A few more things here. The big thing for me, this was late into the year. I moved from a growth role into a product role. Yeah. At Stat. Yeah. And for many reasons, I think that made sense for us. Like, you know, I think it ultimately suited our more intrinsic strengths better and also what the company needed. I think. What I realized here mostly is that my intuition around product is probably stronger than my intuition is around growth, mm. which is, and it comes down to me being comfortable with saying I'm not as good as something. Mm -hmm. right? I feel mm -hmm. like most of my career, I've just been said I'm great at everything, mm -hmm. but this, this, like this, this thing requires us to say, you know, I feel stronger here and not as strong here. Let's lean into our strengths. So that was, I think that's what's worked. Let's see what else. More honesty and transparency. I think this is, you know, one that Nino and I have worked through recently, but also just over the course of this year, I'm realizing that avoiding confrontation is probably one of the worst qualities I have as a human. Mm -hmm. And it really affects relationships and mostly it affects me. It affects how I feel about situations, people, and then I change my behavior based on whether or not I want to be in a, you know, a negative space with, with them. Right. And so getting more of that is going to be super important for me. Sorry, I have like four more getting deeper into crypto web three NFTs. <laughs> I liked, I I liked this a lot because I liked being on the front edge of something. Yeah. I always feel like I'm behind. Yeah. Like I was behind on trading <laughs> stocks and this and that, but for the first time in my life, I feel like I'm kind of near the, near the front here. And yeah. so. It feels, it feels fun. And these are a little bit more, you know, more habits into the next section, but daily walks. I realized for me that it really puts me in a different mind state and it's, and you know, it's kind of programmed in because we have a dog and I have to walk him. What, what time do you usually that, walk? Usually first thing in the morning and then in the evening. So like usually twice a day. That's great. And then another habit would be writing. It's been inconsistent, but I'm looking at my year of writing and i have like let's see i know i've basically written every single month this year starting may which is when i started to really write mm -hmm. i think i have like 82 or so that's awesome. entries yeah that's which awesome i think worked you know yeah. versus last year which yeah. is probably like two yeah and <clears throat> the last one is kind of more like not really habit or anything really it's it's a company called trade coffee i really loved having trade coffee they basically send us a new bag of coffee every week from a different roaster. And I realized for me, I have to build in spontaneity if I can't experience it on my own. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so this, that type of thing like helps. Like it's why I've been proposing us joining a wine club, even mm -hmm. though the expense can be extravagant. I'm like, if we switched from going out to drink to having these, the wine club, maybe it'll, you know, do the effectively the same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 That's really good. Is that it for you? All right. You want to go? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What worked? What worked for me? Coaching really worked for me. Like I had to, I sort of like did an exercise of putting together on the next, on a Google sheet, all the calls I've done. Like I use Calendly for most of the bookings. So they give you like an Excel sheet, Google calendar. So mm -hmm. I wanted to see what it was like. And I, my first call was around like June of last year. And it was 750 oh, wow. sessions I've done of coaching calls. Ooh. And I don't say that number to be like, uh, it's a pat on the back in the sense of it didn't feel like 750 sessions. And I think mm. so much of when you start off with something, you have to put in the volume of work to actually understand what it is that you're doing. And if that <laughs> volume of work is a uh, drudgery and you're, and you sort of feel like you're doing it because you have to, you will never get to a critical mass of 
whether or not you want to do it. It has to feel effortless, I think. And, and it can't be hard and it can't be this, but it just has to feel like you, you're, you're enjoying it so much because the volume of the volume of work that you need to get through to actually figure out if you enjoy it is a lot. It really is. And I'm not saying I'm nowhere near understanding or being like a, as good of a coach as I want to be, but looking at that number and realizing this is what it felt like when I first picked up a guitar. This is what it felt mm. like when I first picked up a camera. And now with coaching, this is what it feels like. And I've, I've been really um, interested in any feeling that I have right now or thought that I have, when was the first time I felt this way? And then sort of tracking back a pattern in my life. After 37 years, I think I can start, I, I've lived, I've, I've lived enough to understand patterns or sort of like epochs or something, you know, like just like cycles of, mm-hmm. of things going on. And I realized that with coaching and, and the reason why I've, I've enjoyed it was because it felt like those moments. And I realized I had two of those moments already of really mm. putting in a volume of work to get to a place where it's like, wow, how are you doing what you're doing? It's just like, I don't know. I just, it's almost, it's, it's this inexplicable passion that I have and, and, and craft building and that effortlessness yeah. is really, I'm grateful for it. It's less about the fact that I put in the work, but the fact that it actually came to me is, is really, I'm grateful for it. If that makes sense. How many, how many sessions did you do in 2020? I want to say, I mean, I would say, cause it, it's like 15, 16 months, right? Since mm-hmm. 17, 18 mm-hmm. months, so I would say, well, like a third of it I w- was sort of in 2020 at, at the end of 2020, but it was like, it was only towards the end of 2020. I started like charging for coaching. Should I make it a thing? And like, mm-hmm. that was the first mm-hmm. time I really mm-hmm. did that. And then it was this year where it was a lot of that was sort of being cemented. And so, yeah, the beginning of 2020, even no, like I remember going through 70 or 80 sessions just in the first two months, I was spending 12 hours, 10, 12 hours a day, every day talking to people and calling with people. And that first sort of like initial hurdle of doing it, you couldn't have, you know, like how do you convince someone to do that much if it isn't something you enjoy? It's one of those kind of things, you know? And yeah, I think yeah, when yeah. people hear those stories, they think, wow, what a hard worker. Wow. You should just, mm. whatever you do, you should just grit your teeth and put into it. And I'm like, no, because if it isn't what you should, if it's what you should be doing and not what you want to be doing, you're literally wasting time and you're grinding yourself down. Like no one could have stopped me. You know, no one could have stopped me yeah. to get to what that looks like. And so it reminds me of this. I met this dude. I went camping with a friend and I met another buddy and mm-hmm. he is a dentist mm-hmm. by profession. I hope he doesn't mind me telling the story, but he, uh, he also does stand up comedy. Wow. And he told me that he went like, and he just started, but yeah. he told me he went every single night that he could to the wow. comedy club. And he would get, he would get booed. He would bomb. You would, you don't, he you, would bomb. You don't, every you don't, set, you, you don't succeed every night. Not at all. <laughs> but, but he didn't ever have a good night. Wow. Well, at least when I talked and he was like, I love it. And it just made me think like, wow, there's like, it, I mean, it just made me reminded me of what you're saying. Like yeah. there's certain things you do that just are so close to your you know, yeah, like fiber yeah. of who you are, yeah, that it's not work, yeah, almost, yeah. Does the yeah. does does the startup life feel that way for you, or does it feel like it's like, or is it after product that felt a little more flow? I guess flow is the word that people use for it, right? Like, but how is your? I, I feel like this is a step beyond flow, where it's like where you are embarrassed by your lack of <laughs> success, <laughs> or you're not embarrassed. You know what I mean? I, you know what? I don't know. I'm not sure if it, what feels right to me. Like, I feel like, I feel like I'm just so in it. It's hard yeah. for me to evaluate. Yeah. It, it, it's I also, can't tell. and like, I, I think the effortless part was actually like the, the three co-founders working together. Like you guys are helping each other push it through. Like if you had to do it by yourself, we've said this multiple times. I think it was stopped a long time yeah, ago. No we did, we did oh, it by yeah. yourself, you know, like two um, weeks in, <laughs> go back to the job. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, the effortless, uh-huh. yeah, the effortless part, at least for me, feels like the assumption that we're going to hold on, mm. which is, uh, and let me explain that better. The effortless part is this, like, there's no space for the idea of giving up, really. Yeah. Maybe there has been once or twice in yeah. the last two years, yeah. but overall, every yeah. other day, it's like, if it's hard, that's just what it is. Like, yeah. You know, like, that's like, yeah. 
maybe that doesn't feel easy to other people, if that yeah. makes sense. The commitment, the commitment yeah. to doing this together yes. felt effortless. Yeah. 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 I love that. I love that. And like, it actually goes to the second big what worked for me, which was my own coaching and therapy that I, that I did throughout mm. the year. Getting that help it is so counterintuitive to what I've been told to do. <laughs> and it's so counterintuitive, counterintuitive to like a money spent, money earned perspective. But I mm. would have never, yes. ever, ever found coaching if I didn't have my own coach that told me about that, that gave me the seed of an idea. There is no one five minute moment in that coaching session has birthed this whole business. And I don't know the <laughs> ROI of that is just, I, it's, it's unbelievable. Like I, I, I can never quantify meaning. I don't think it's about the monetary investment of what coaching and all that is, right? Like that's not the way to look at the, the return on investment or any kind of analysis with it, you know, and therapy too. It's just, I just can't, you know, I just, I just can't imagine not having somebody hear all the bullshit that's in my head, help me organize mm. it, give me a thought. And then I can approach and talk to other people about, about those things, you know? And I yeah. think, I think there is gratitude in me being able to do it but also realizing that like that that it's worked and it's something that I've really come to see as integral in my in my life and I think as a coach and doing what I'm doing the last thing I want to do is just say that I'm doing this stuff and not do the work on myself right and so yeah yeah i mean at least from an outside perspective it would feel weirder to me if a coach didn't have a coach yeah and didn't have a you know like didn't do the things that yeah right yeah like yeah but I feel like probably a lot of them don't. I don't, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think that is one thing that I, I think that's another thing that's worked or I'm proud of for the year, which is someone like you who I who I talk to regularly, other people know that I'm putting in the work to the work that I'm doing, that I'm not just sort of like a like a shell or I'm just shilling my own thing. And, and that's what it is. Like, mm -hmm. like I'm trying as best as I can. And I think having those sessions and that accountability is is one of those things that's that's really important and next year going to the onward i'm trying to figure out what is a better way for me to be able to do that for people without it having to be this big investment up mm. front so like some kind of group coaching or something would be interesting and even this podcast in some ways mm -hmm. is that it's sort of uh it's, mm -hmm. it's sort of the hints of that right like it's not coaching yeah. per se but the conversations we have here is just as much the as, as much the same thing another thing that worked for me were the week sabbaticals i take i took off throughout the year about three so how many did you take off i do it every seven weeks i did it every seven weeks so out of 52 weeks that's maybe six seven times right and then what i did this year for the first time was take off three weeks since christmas week till the first week of the new year so i'm, I'm getting back into coaching and work on the ninth the 10th i guess mm -hmm. that week but taking off those weeks have one have also been me doubling down on we need to rest and I'm showing people that this is what rest looks like and my clients at least that I'm I'm resting. It helped me stay filled and not depleted. I can't imagine doing that amount of coaching calls all throughout the year without a break. I think that would have been really, I think even though I loved it, I would have sort of run myself to the ground. Yeah. I remember every like sat like after the week when the Friday Saturday I was so excited to get back on calls the next day I like mm. I would admit and I would, that excitement kept coming you know every the, the next week and during like the sixth during like the sixth week at the end I could feel my body like okay you need the rest like it the rhythm came in and I can feel myself saying I need a break I need a break and like and it's one of those things it's really hard to find any rhythms or routines that really fit into your body and like your body like actually allows right it's usually mm. it's an experimenting of like from like dieting or exercise like what is it that and like this sort of like thing that just naturally folds into the way that you move and live and i think sabbatical was having one of those things and i can't imagine myself not doing it but yeah that's that kind of rest and intentional rest where it wasn't even going on trips or taking off the week but it was more just doing something for myself resting spending time more with my wife or reading or doing something random has been really, really great for me. Yeah. So when you, 
when you say those, the, the, the rest, just, I'm going to, I'm, I almost asking you because I realized like, I think for me and for the team, we don't really rest. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's like, it's, it's not, it's not thoughtful or intentional. Mm-hmm. It's almost like if society creates it, like things, or mm-hmm. if we're at our wits end, it's like or, one of those. Two or if things. you're sick. Or if we're sick. Yeah. Or right? you have to settle into like, a new city. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so like, I'm just trying to understand, like, how do, how would, like, it's like my brain is ravaging myself right now. Like one side of me is like, there's no way you can rest. Yeah. And then the other side is like, it probably makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I'm sure like most people, when they hear what you say, feel yeah. the same way. They're like, how? I, like, I think a week is a luxury that I have. It, it's a, it's a huge luxury because of my full autonomy with my time, right? Because I am sort of my own business. You are also accountable to two other people. And so that's a little bit different. The other version of this would be every four weeks, every month, take a weekend sabbatical. And the reason why I'm using the word sabbatical and not vacation or anything is because the point of that sabbatical is it's it's borrowed from the term of you know academia when professors take a year off. And it's also further back, it goes back to you know Sabbath um, rest from you know, Jewish and Christian um, traditions. But take academia with a sabbatical, what that means is, hey, for a week, for a whole year, you don't have to teach classes, meaning there is no obligation to the college and, and to the institution. Because mm. I know professors have like committees and this and that. And there's this stuff that mm. you have to give back to the actual university or, or, or where you're working so that you can do your own research. But the sabbatical is for you to have no obligations to do some sort of, for professors to be researching or publications and stuff. For me, it was just no obligation. I didn't schedule any calls. I didn't schedule any shoots or anything like that. I would do what I would want to do as opposed to what I would be asked to do from other people. And so the second or third sabbatical I did is when I launched my newsletter. That's when I sat there and I wrote and I started writing and that's something that I did for myself, right? And so even if you were to think every month, one weekend, no obligation, it means don't schedule anything with anybody. Don't just wake up on, you know, Saturday or Friday night. And it's like, what do we want to do? And sort of like creating sort of the self-guided autonomy of what you want to do. It could be sitting and, you know, binging on Netflix and really resting. It could be going away somewhere for a weekend. It can just be reading like, but sort of having that autonomy for yourself and something that you want to pursue for yourself is... The, the simple guiding principle of what a best sabbatical would be. And the other but thing- how did, uh, I guess, I, I think, sorry, just to interrupt real quick. How did, it, it feels to me that people, especially people in my shoes, won't actually be able to rest because they are constantly feeling or thinking about the pressure of yes. what they're not doing. Yes. How, and how do, how do you rest given the, the, the pressures don't change? Yes. Like that's why the first couple were so shitty. Like I was so bad at resting. Mm. And that exact thing that you said is the reason why sabbaticals are necessary because you have to push through that and realize like, but even for me, I'm resting three weeks. There is a real thing in the back of my voice that says you've lost everything because you rested for three weeks, but you're going to come back to Scorster. But there's going to be like no clients going to want to work with you again. Nothing's going to happen. Like this was the most irresponsible thing you could ever do. And the amount of anxiety I felt last week because of that especially around year Mm -hmm. end when I'm already feeling anxiety about the next year and stuff, but I'm already feeling Mm -hmm. that, but you're hearing that and you're like, that's, that's so crazy. Right. It's like, like logically, you know, that's not the case, but it is. And and I think that pressure feeling like you have to work and the idea that working for most people is to keep anxiety at bay, not to actually do something that's productive. That working is a Mm. form of distraction and numbing and not an actual productive thing is what's driving people like crazy. Like it's, it's really depressing in that way that are you using work, which is what I do to not feel anxious, which is basically workaholism. Cause what else do you do to not feel anxious? You can drink, you can eat, you can blah, 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 whatever it is, but it's, it's, a, it's, it, it changes it to something. And, and like the thing that I was, the, the, the thing that's also true with it is not that because I'm resting every seven weeks. I'm doing, you know, that much less. It's doing seven, seven weeks worth of work in six weeks. Right. Yes. So if you guys were yeah. to, and so it actually comes from like tech startups and, 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 and 
like tech startups actually use these this principle in the sense of you make a work cycle six weeks, you do a project or a release of, a, of whatever software product they're working on only in six week cycles. If it takes longer, it's too much. But we're just going to focus on one or two things during this. After, seven, after six weeks, we do a little bit of like regrouping and tying up loose ends, then we take a week off and then we do it again. So some people do eight week cycles, right? But they just do it within six week project and do these like six week sprints and then let people rest. And so in order to do eight weeks or seven weeks worth of work in six weeks, it forces you to, what are we going to do? What are we not going to do? How are we going to align and sync our team around it? It actually forces you to compartmentalize or structure the work that you do in order to allow this viability thing to happen. There's a executive coach I really like. His name's Jerry Colonna, and he takes two months off every year. August is usually around the time when therapists and everyone go on break and, and all that stuff. But he also took September to do that. And he said he had to schedule around everything in his company in order for him to take that time off. Right. And so it forced him to understand what it is, what preparation he needed to do in order to do that. And so if it becomes a really important thing, you start reorganizing and organizing your life in that way. Mm. I personally found people rarely schedule seven weeks ahead. And so if I just have it in my calendar, you could usually schedule around those times to keep that time. It, it, it's an easy sort of boundary to set for yourself. But I would say if yeah. you have like a job, which most people do, and you can't you know, take that kind of time off, I would say every four weeks, every weekend, Friday night to Sunday night, don't have any obligations and use that as like a weekend sabbatical for yourself. It's a, it's a great place to start actually. Would you say that, that like disorder of using work to stave off anxiety mm -hmm. has lessened because of the sabbatical like, or has it changed? That's a good question. Has the function of work, has the function and, and role of work changed from an anti-anxiety medication to a, a thing you do in order to get to a sabbatical. Yes. Sense. Yes. But it was also in conjunction with just talking, thinking about scarcity mindset in general, right? Mm. This actually goes into the what didn't work category for me where I had this habitual habit really before the pandemic where every December and January into February, I freak out about my life. I'm like, this is not going to work again. Whatever you did up till now was some performance magic trick and no one's going to fall for it next year. And it really inhibits any visioning, any sort of real want of growth or, or thinking of how to grow the business. Cause I'm just like, let me just keep this up. Maybe I can keep this up for another mm -hmm. year. This sort of like weird habitual scarcity I had, it really affected my marriage. It affected my own mental health. And that's something I was working on. But even this past like I said, this past week, like I, it, it came up again. My brain's just like programmed now after 12 years to be like, let's start the anxiety cycle, like towards the end of the year. Mm. And I already sort of felt that now, but taking these three weeks off actually has forced me to really face it and realize that, oh, it's not, I don't have to just keep things going. I can use this fear and this anxiety as, as a signal to lean in and try to grow or, or design my life in a way that I can actually feel confident and use it as a propellant as opposed to, yep, there's this anxiety. So I just got to keep working hard because it's just going to happen somehow. Right. But yeah, I don't think, I don't think you could ever get over the anxiety until you lean into it, but it has to Which feel so <laughs> counterintuitive. But yeah, you were saying to okay. me the other day, right? You're like, I can't imagine like, why am I working right on the week between Christmas and this is a, Yeah. This has not happened, really. When you have a job, it's much easier to just be like, nope, I'm done, right? Like, you're like you, you definitely did not want to work, you know? The, the expectation was that you don't work. Yeah. But that's also different because it's almost a rebellion as opposed to actual, right? It's because you were so tired and <laughs> you didn't like the job. That's like, thank God I get to, I get to take oh, some yeah. time off, you know, as opposed to like oh, a yeah. conscious yeah, choice yeah. so you can get back at it and do it even better, you know? Right. Yeah, that's a huge difference where it's like time off is an escape versus time off is a preparation. Yeah. That's rest, a total mind shift. Resting and restorative rest is as much of a practice as is writing, product marketing. Like like any other business skill, resting in a way that you feel restored is really, really hard to do. And if you mm. were to ask anybody, what do you do to feel 
restorative rest? It's, it's, it's a, it's a very, it's a hard question to answer. Yeah. And it's hard. It's like, just like therapy where it's hard to see the effects of it. Like there's no, like put an A, get out B, you know, yeah, yeah. with rest or therapy or anything like that really. It feels actually to me, like when you're talking, at least my experience of therapy and bits of coaching I've done is like, it takes off the blinders or it reveals them versus giving you some feeling of like release. Yeah. Which is, I think what people are wanting from rest and yeah. therapy, like they want release versus awareness. Yeah. Know? Yeah. If that makes sense. Yes. Yes. It gets much, <clears throat> it feels dark. It gets much worse before it gets better in some way. Right. Yes. And a hundred percent because resting is about knowing your entire self. And I think when you know your whole self, it's the, the, both the good and the bad. And a lot of times you're, you're resting because of the the darker parts of you and the things that aren't working so well. And you're, and you're actively working to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really appreciated the, even for you that you use writing, but writing for you is very much like, it's much more intrinsically motivated than you wanting to post it on a blog mm. or a Twitter. Like you're using writing as a way to think through certain things. And yeah. you shared a little Process. bit. It's, it's like some of the most honest things, honest and clear thoughts that I've, I've written, I've read from somebody. And I think that kind of work is actually like, I would say that's actually restorative. I would say that's resting, mm. right? Yeah, for you to true. have that time to do, to do a little of that happening where you're keeping up with <laughs> sort of the pathology of your mind and the, yes. and the things. And that's not, a great way to put it. And, and like not, you know, draining, draining it out as opposed to it sort of being, being overflowing. Or avoiding yeah. it. Or avoiding it. Yeah. And so yeah. It, it's like taking one of those things and saying like, okay, I'm going to spend half a day on a Saturday, like drilling it. Right. Mm. It's not easy. It's, there's nothing easy no. about that. But doing that for half a half a day on a Saturday on your sabbatical would be some of the most rewarding mm. things you can do for yourself. Mm -hmm. So like that's sort of yeah. more of the view of what a sabbatical, how a, how a productive yeah. one would look like. Before we move into what didn't work, I kind of, yeah. I think this would be interesting. I yeah. want to comment on what I thought worked for you. Oh, and maybe nice. you didn't talk about it. Yeah. So you, uh, one thing yeah. I notice about you is yeah. the way you take notes. <laughs> like note taking, like I think no one's, I don't think many people have seen Minnow's Rome research files. Yeah. yeah. Where he literally like, <laughs> so when I'm listening to a podcast or reading an article, yeah. I'll just listen and I'll just read. It's so simple. But I think for Minnow, every time it's an intentional moment of like deconstructing the writing or the audio. Yeah. yeah into his notes in a way that becomes more processed, more helpful, whatever, yeah. whatever. And I feel like that the fact that you do that for like so many things that you yeah. read and ingest yeah. has made you the coach you are. Like, I just, I don't know any other person actually that has the discipline of doing that. I think you're actually the only person in my <laughs> life that does that. And, and the reason I say that is because I've realized that that's how I like early on as an adolescent, that's how I developed intellectually was by doing the same thing. Yeah. Like breaking things down, taking yeah. notes on it, really yeah. thinking about it, trying to understand it for myself. And yeah. you do that almost every day, like probably every day, right? I try. I think I, I, I've gotten less. Uh, I, I wish I can say I've done it every day. I think I'm, I'm disciplined with it and I'm, I'm trying to do it more. And it's funny because I've, I've actually like one of the other things that worked had been pen and paper. And I've actually been writing every morning, like 30, 40 minutes or more, like just writing. Cause I realized there's something to like note taking or it's called like the cottage industry that's come up as like personal knowledge management. And people think it's like, I am going to make a library of everything in my head so that I can reference it whenever I want, which is actually mm. not possible. Right. And so there's all these like tools to like suck in this article or highlights or this tweet or that tweet. And like, you sort of just create like a, you just create your own little mountain of mess that you never look at. And I approached that first as like, I'm going to remember everything that I read and I'm going to be able to reference it like a Dewey Decimal System, blah, blah, blah. And what it actually is, is the intentional slowing down and chewing on an idea. The residual things that you sort of pick up in doing that is the stuff that sticks around with you and that you mm. use as building blocks and thought and ideas and stuff that you're thinking through. So it's like, even the habit of like, a lot of people say, oh, I want to do, you know, some sort of creative outlet, but I don't know what to, what to write about or what to photograph or what to video, whatever. If you just start writing down every idea and you just make the habit of just writing things down as you think of it, 
you, you'll slowly start having 100, 200 lists of ideas and you never actually go back to it. But the things that stick from you actually writing down are the ideas that are worthwhile. Like mm. our brain has this mm-hmm. really interesting way of filtering out what isn't necessary and what's necessary. And in the act of yeah. me writing and processing that stuff out, it bubbles to the top the things that I need to be thinking about or the things that matter most to me. And it also stems the tide of needing to ingest more information for newer insight that we've, that I've probably mm. have the few books or articles or people that all I need in this season of my life to get me to the next level. But we're in this sort of like constant hunt for the next insight, which already sounds like the 86 we've heard before, but because we don't mm-hmm. have time to process it, we're just, it's just a dopamine hit of recognizing as opposed to getting into it and saying, how can I just really get into this book or this idea yeah. and it literally happened three days ago when i found this book uh book was recommended by jerry colonna called let your life speak by parker palmer and i read it once and i'm like like i am i am i am an i am a ambassador of this book without anything like i've told as many people as i could david's read it too in the last day it's a short book everyone should actually read it we can talk about that more in another episode but i'm like okay i had three or four more books that I wanted to read this uh, sabbatical, right? But I basically just said, okay, I'm going to read this book at least one more time or another time and sit there and really quantify what it is that I'm thinking. I've already highlighted a bunch, but I'm really, because there's things in there, I think like it, it encapsulates so many things that I've been thinking about, not just in my coaching work, mm-hmm. but in this conversation, <clears throat> like, it's as if they were this guy overheard our podcast and then just wrote out yeah. in really concise, clear ways what we've been thinking about. So what more do you really need? Do you need to read 10 more books yes. like that or just really go deep into one more book yeah. that way? And so, yeah, I think that kind of writing and that kind of processing, it really forces you to slow down with is something that is very counterintuitive because what do people say? Oh, I read 100 books this year, 150 books this year. Mm-hmm. I did this or did that. Mm-hmm. And the act of slowing down actually allows you to, and it's not remember or learning. I, I think there's intellectual growth, but I think at our at the point in our lives now, it's really about just leaning in and letting something take a root from what we know to how we live, right? It's just sort of like mm. really allowing it to sit there long enough to have some form of like material. Yeah. Impact. I don't know if that but answers your like question, it, but yeah. No, I feel like it has, an, it has made you a more effective coach. And I say this mm-hmm. practically because- I, I mean, I don't know. I think the way that it comes out is you're talking to somebody who has yeah. this or that issue yeah. or, yeah. you know, struggle and yeah. you can remember or yeah. bring up a quote yeah. or a framework or yeah. an idea that connects so perfectly with yeah. their situation. Yeah. And that is, that's what people seek is perspective, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, you know, and that yeah. effectively makes you better. Yeah. And someone who doesn't do that, yeah. you know? Yeah. Thanks, um, man. So thanks. I th- like, and I, I think it's, yeah. it's, it's me um, doubling down on the strength that I have with just connecting those things together. Like, I think I'm very much, mm-hmm. that's how my brain works. And so it's sort of filling that bucket. I do have one thing for you that I think has really worked this past year. And I want you to talk about it or him, which is, uh, which is Milo. You haven't brought up Milo, but you, oh. you met Milo. Right this year or, or a year yeah. and a half ago, 2020. So, 2020. Yeah, yeah. I've met. I've had the privilege of meeting Milo, and he is. He's made me. He's the one dog that's made me want to get a dog, and I'm not a dog person really. But I think Milo gives much happiness in your life, and maybe you could talk as a as a that's true dog owner and dog that's lover. <laughs> and I think yeah. I mean, before I never had one growing up, but having him around is. Isn't that sound really strange? But there's an emotional <laughs> burden that he helps me carry in the household. You know what I mean? Because wow. I feel like, I don't know, there, there is, you know, there's something from a relationships. I mean, it sounds so strange, but I, I guess people that have dogs will understand. Like from, yeah. there is a level of dependence, I guess, is uh-huh. the right word. Uh-huh. That codependence creates uh-huh. something, right? That's like good for both people. Interesting. Go, good for both parties. But I never thought about it like that. I always, I've been thinking about work tools and productivity and, but yeah, from a deeper sense of just being exposed to 
happiness and love. Yeah. You know, in that way, yeah. it's, yeah. it's quite, I would say it's very life-changing. And that's just how happy he makes my wife is also yeah. really important. But sort of like, that's what people like, it's just somebody who's constantly excited to see you, constantly excited mm. for your love. And that's a really, yeah, I, I, I can imagine that being a positive effect that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the small injections of happiness and love that in a daily, day to day to day doesn't, you don't really notice. But over the yeah. course of a year and a half, you realize, oh, did I, am I like, 30, 40, you know, some percent more happy because yeah. every single day I experience a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, is there, maybe, maybe it's hard to think of like a before, after, like marriage before Milo and marriage with Milo, like, or like just daily life is. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> in one sense, it, it just practically, there's another being that takes yeah. up space Yeah, in, in your life and, you know, whatever. And yeah. that is a big, there's a weird loneliness between just two people. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know if you experienced that, but I, I feel like I had. Yeah. So he kind of fills up that space. Does the responsibility so of having a dog outweigh the joy that you get from the dog from Milo? No. No. I mean, the responsibility, I mean, he's expensive to fly with. That's just one. I mean, maybe he like gets in the way of like meeting friends or whatever yeah. because he has a hard time staying home alone. But yeah. Overall, I think, yeah, definitely, especially in this season of yeah. the world and yeah. Earth, it's, it's better. Milo's a, Milo's a good dog. I miss Milo. I do want to see Milo. <laughs> okay. What Let's didn't continue. work? What didn't, what work? didn't work? What didn't work for me is transition, which is weird because I just said it worked for me. I think all of these are two-sided coins. Yes. A lot of transition helped me in some areas, but didn't help my consistency around fitness and weight loss. Yeah. yeah. I realize I'm so easily like pushed off yeah. the routine. Yeah. You know, like moving to San Francisco pushed me off a routine yeah. that I had fucking worked so hard to build. It pisses <laughs> me off a little, but that's, you know, it's true. Second, and this is surprising for me, is working from home. After like basically going into 2021, working from home stopped working for me. Hmm. Like, I have some kind of attention deficit disorder that I've not been diagnosed with. In the beginning, it helped with that. But after a while, I just got so like overwhelmed by the mm. sameness of work mm. from home mm. that mm -hmm. it started to remove me from like a productive mindset. I, I also think working this. from home in a major city and working from home from picturesque Corvallis is very different also. Right, like yes, very different. <laughs> yes, like like the same place you eat is the same place you work. It's very different than having a nook where you can work, go downstairs to the kitchen and do something like like it's 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 a commute, yes. right? Even if it's a, even if it's you know forty steps, it's still a commute. But yeah, but San Francisco must even be worse. In, I mean, it, it is worse. But even in Corvallis, I started to feel like mm -hmm. it's I guess it's a like cabin fever mm -hmm. from work from home. Mm -hmm. Right. But, and I think what compelled me originally to remote work isn't work from home. It's work from anywhere. Like that's yeah. really compelling to me. Yeah. You know, like I'm, I'm realizing I need a program in spontaneity. Yeah. And if there's too much sameness in my life, yeah. I will get just totally, yeah. you know, I'll become useless. <laughs> so that was a surprising one. Yeah. And it's making me like consider, really consider getting a desk next somewhere. Yeah. So that's, that's a big thing that didn't work. Yeah. Second is... Another one that's surprising to me is no income. And we've talked about the income thing on the podcast, but I stopped getting a regular paycheck October 2020. And this whole time since then, I've been getting like small checks here and there, like doing you know little projects, but never that replaced my former income. And that to me did not work. And I don't actually think that can work for anybody. And I mean, correct, and this might be the capitalist to me, but like not making money fucks with everything in your in, at least in my life it fucked with my sense of productivity relationships ability to do this or that like just like it's so connected there that that can't work mm. and, the, and really other than the financial pressure of not having income yeah. in the most expensive city in the u.s yeah you know like apart from that like all these other things are that that didn't work for me yeah when do you feel like i'm not making anything like, because you, 
stat or starting point where he's like, I'm not making anything, but I'm investing my time in order to make something mm-hmm. later on. Mm-hmm. When did that mm-hmm. run out? When did that feel like that it, argument yeah, didn't convince you question. anymore? It really ran out when we moved to SF, to San Francisco, yeah. which was just a few months ago. Because just the, like, just the reality of the situation. Yeah. You know, like how you think these big tech salaries go far and they do at certain amounts, but yeah, but even there's, there's a, you know, the city is challenging. Yeah. Yeah. In that way. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> when we would talk about it off, off, off camera, off, he, he thinks in, uh, in rent, if he has this much, amount, <laughs> he's like, I have this much and I have this much and I'm fine. And it's like Corvallis was a very, you know, generous arrangement mm-hmm. in some ways. And as soon as you went to San Francisco, it's like, <laughs> it's rent money. You know, you're thinking in rent money terms again, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's insane. I like, I found out the other day, my brother-in-law lives in like in Augusta, Georgia, mm-hmm. and he pays like 700 for a two bedroom or something. <laughs> and I was just like, the fuck? Like, it was just, you know, like completely different. It's just, yeah, the expense of the city is so monumental that yeah. it created this, like, it completely shattered the, oh, we're fine. Yeah state yeah you know so yeah. maybe it would work if we were living you know you know we had lived in a much more affordable city whatever but yeah. as it stands it doesn't work it's all should be more specific it, it also is access to spontaneity right spontaneity costs a little bit too for you to be able to do that right? costs like, a lot yeah yeah <laughs> yeah the meme of like why is outside so expensive you know <laughs> you step it's outside in new york and it's like 20 bucks just flew out of your pocket kind of thing you know right exactly yeah those okay, are this other one, this is a, this one's a hard one for me to ex- actually talk about, but it's like the lack of tools for focus. So like I said earlier, like I, I, de- I definitely have some kind of attention deficit disorder <laughs> and I haven't been disciplined enough to utilize techniques for that, like mm-hmm. Pomodoro mm-hmm. or, you know, something. But I, I realize if I do Pomodoro, and actually it really came up with this, this job, this part-time job that I have where the we're essentially tracked hour by hour like lawyers yeah Yeah. i mean they're tracked they're tracked every six minutes we're tracked every 10 minutes wow and that system as much as i fundamentally do not like being tracked like from a you know like a big brother like all from a work perspective it's very helpful Hmm. you know it's like Hmm. it pushes me to think about work in like certain time increments Hmm. and i realize like it's so it's a it's a carryover from all my time in corporate where this is going to be really bad but like all the work never took the time allotted yes like the work took the work was scoped for 40 hours yeah i can do it in like i literally because i've had to do it this recent time like a project that was normally scoped for 80 120 160 hours Mm -hmm. i did it in 15 hours i completed it in 15 hours wow a focus time a focus time, which tells me why I am the way I am with a lot of things. Right. You know what I right. mean? And so I have to, again, I, Pomodoro has definitely helped me. Mm. And those types of techniques have definitely helped me focus. And just, I, I have to admit to myself, I probably have less productive hours than the average person because of these things. Mm. But I still have productive hours and I need to capitalize on them. Mm. I you know. I found pen and paper at least right now for it to be the most effective way twenty percent of the functionality for eighty percent of the result really, and mm. I'm not in front of a screen I'm writing there's something that's more free flowing about writing there's something more tactile going back to the note taking or saying like writing actually is the the physical act of writing the 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 brain hasn't registered the speed of typing I do not think typing registers to the brain as an activity as much as writing by hand does. The brain is too mm, slow to realize that the speed at which you're typing, you can fully understand what's happening. It's easier, of course, and it's more efficient, but I think at least my brain, maybe because it is I'm older and I still remember life before, you know, a cell a cell phone or, you know, or typing. But writing has really actually unlocked a little part of my brain to be a little bit more creative. And there's mm. nothing there's no nothing pinging on a on a on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's that sort of worked for me. I, I some of my friends actually um, told me they were diagnosed with ADD, and and medication did wonders for them. You know, not oh, a lot. I know, hundred percent. Not that's a lot, but my life. it's like, and my one, uh, my one friend, he just, you know, 
doesn't use it every day, but when he knows he has to do something, just takes a little bit, you know, like as long as you're conscious of not being dependent on it, it'll be helpful. And so I think it's both and, right? It's both and techniques and it's also helping yourself, you know, but yeah. So yeah, I I long to be diagnosed so I can get some Adderall. (laughs) Just find someone who's going to just find the dealer. (laughs) Yeah. Anything else? The last two are a little connected. One yeah. is shitty technology. That is a, it really gets in the way. In a way I didn't realize. Yeah. I had to get my AirPods replaced, repair my computer and my phone last year and just not good. Shitty having Apple technology it sounds like. That's what it yes, sounds like. Having the best of the best is important. Yeah. Not feasible right now, but yes. important. Yes. And the last one is a lack of project management. And this is something I've been trying to fix in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. But the la- like... The amount of tasks that are separated across so yeah. many tools and apps and systems is creates chaos. The same thing for my inbox. Yeah. I switched from Shift to Spark Yep. on Minnow's recommendation. And what that did was Spark tells you the amount of emails you have, not unread, but, and I had never seen that before. And it was like 90,000 or something. And it really rooted, it did something to my brain where I was like, <laughs> I can't deal with this. Like, it gave me so much anxiety. So I had to, I got to inbox zero for the first time in my life, which is insane. And yeah. it, it has done something good. Yeah. Right. So yeah. the lack of those things, it just, and then realizing like I lived, I'd lived 20, almost 30 years without them. And I have lived, I've done all this work without this. Like how much more sane could That's I have so felt? Funny. It's really so. inter- like as you're talking and, and Dave and I had a long conversation about like what to use and and, and we're still <laughs> chipping away at it. But like Trello, Asana, no, like it's almost like different religions. Like you have to accept a worldview and go with it. And then if you're in that worldview, it's awesome. But someone like you, it's mm-hmm. like you're going to four different, you know, services of different religions every day. <laughs> like you're just trying to like figure out how do I take the like so much con- the context switching must be insane and it's just like it's it's too much of a jumble and you're like okay this makes sense here but it doesn't make sense here but this team works this way so we have to use this and then we have and god forbid like something falls through the cracks and it's just like okay it's just because you know all these things yeah yes exactly yeah. what didn't work was actually also health and i haven't like uh, let myself go in terms of weight and and fully just mm. like I don't give a shit kind of thing, but I didn't get healthier. Right. Mm. And part of that was just physically not being able to go swimming. I was so into swimming early 2020 and then we just couldn't do it. So part of it was that. And like, you know, just not just falling off the wagon, but the wagon just stopping altogether, you know, and Mm -hmm. trying to get back on there has been hard, but that that's one thing that didn't work. And I, and I want to change and I want to change that. The other thing that didn't work, I tried and still isn't working, is just the amount of like media and noise that I consume on a daily basis. I gave up my subscription for the New York Times, for the New Yorker, like all these subscriptions, I'm just going to stop, you know, because it's just like... For the Times? What kind of New Yorker are you? (laughs) Mainstream media is not, I mean, none of that's the same as it was before, I think. That's true. And things are changing and it's only going to get worse. And I think... The amount of information that we need in order to be responsible citizens is a fraction, a <laughs> fraction of the amount that we take in right now. You know, even with web, like I am, like it, it's actually one of my things that that's worked for me where I'm really curious about this thing, but the amount of innate noise that goes on in it and what people think it is, people treating web three like a casino. Like it's just, it's, it's so stupid. That is not what web three is, but the only thing you hear about is flipping NFTs and doing, and just like, it's doing it such a disservice. And if you get into mm-hmm. it, that's the only, like you have to get, hatchet your way through that jungle to get to what actually matters. And so there's no reason why people don't want to think about it because you have to get through all that noise, you know? And so, yeah. yep. and being sucked into that as well, the politics of it all too, being sucked into the politics of just, yeah, that's, that's really one of the things that haven't, haven't really worked for me. Photography didn't work for me this past year because uh, I just saw how fragile of a profession in many ways it was with the pandemic. And oh, wow. at least in the line of work that I was doing, which is so client-based, right? Also, real, yeah, like I, I think, and, and 
I'm not saying it as an indictment of the whole industry. I think just right now, at, at least in the way that it was in my life, has been that way. In some ways, it's it's two faced too. It's it's two sided too because it showed me what didn't work in the way I was doing my business. And now that it's coming back, I'm able to be really cognizant of what I want to do. But the fact that it just stopped working. And I lost everything and the amount of anxiety and, and identity crisis that brought on was really, mm. was really, really didn't work. I didn't write it down, but as I'm talking to like, what didn't work is just my own woeful ignorance to the systemic racism and just as a person of color and what we go through. Just because I, I'd say what didn't work was just like my privilege. It didn't work. And I think that being broken down and even until the middle of this year, I was so angry. I was so angry and sad and, and, and fearful of everything. And it's sort of tapering down now and I have a clearer head about it, but just that reckoning and my own complicitness by not doing anything really didn't fucking work. That's a good one. Yeah. That I is think, a really good one. Yeah. But uh, I think that's mostly, let me see what else did I write? Yeah. I think that's mostly, mostly what didn't work for me. Moving onward. How can we improve? I, and I also see I, I, when you did retros, I, the way that I'm looking at it, it also like, what do you keep doing that worked and how do you improve what didn't work? Right. Like that's, it's, it's mm-hmm. both in that sort of, sort of that question. Right. Mm-hmm. So what would you say is something you want to keep doing that's been working? I think all the things that I have to keep doing that's working requires a lot of effort from me. So I don't want to say, but I will, <laughs> which is continuing these like management systems in box zero project management, yeah. focus techniques, like Palmer. Like I have to be in the habit of being like, oh, I'm going to start work. Let me put on a timer. Mm. That's the biggest draw. Mm. And that's the hard part. And then obviously <clears throat> the practice of more honesty and communication. I think I, ha- I have to, I recognize the moment inside of me that I fear, I feel fear and anxiety around communication. Yeah. And I just have to kind of step on it and yeah. continue. How much of that do you think is needed to happen the moment you feel it? Or how much of it do you feel is you can think about it and then bring it up and, and later on when you've thought through and sort of been able to not filter, but yeah, just chew on it a bit. Mm-hmm. I see. I, I feel, I mean, at least for me, I feel like what I'm doing is I have thoughts that I'm not speaking. At which all. Which is destructive. Yeah. Yeah, at all. So yes, but no. Yeah. And then, yeah, lastly is more, more planned spontaneity. We can program, if I can program that into my life, I'll be happier. So just kind of think about it like that, which kind of like, to me is, sounds like I'm trying to this old, boring person that's a planned spontaneity. I feel like it's the only way. <laughs> I'm planning in time for me to rest. That's, that's what it comes down to. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. What do you want to improve? I need to get back on the health grind, which is something I'm going to try a different approach. I think at least for me, I have a lot of uh, mental fatigue because all the full responsibility of it is on me. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to try another approach where I bring on some experts. That's my approach this year to that, to improving that. Yeah. That's the big one for you. I'd like to continue coaching. (laughs) If there's a spread, people will have to. No, I'm kidding. I think... Improving coaching is actually a very interesting thought. And I don't know if that means certifications. I don't know if that means like getting into some sort of like modalities or understanding mm. it, understanding it in, in certain ways. It sort of feels like this after my volume of sort of sessions that I've done, it's this really like hard work of going back and, and digging out themes and digging out this, digging out like ideas and, and what I've done in the past and sort of doing a review of all that stuff. It's like, a, I remember doing, doing, making portfolios for photographers is some of the most draining and tiring thing where you feel like you did nothing. Like it, like you have 3000 images and you boil it down to a thousand and that took a whole day. Then you go back the next <laughs> day and you boil that down to 500 and then you left. It's like the most like taxing thing. I just like, this is all I did. And you, and you boil it down to these 50 images that need to like define who mm. like, I remember doing that work and you just don't want to keep, but like the best photographers I know that push themselves do that every year or every quarter, mm. they're always updating their portfolio. They're always reviewing what it is that they've done. And even like that book, let your life speak is sort of this 
almost Cliff Notes version of things that I was thinking about. Like it articulates, it gave me the language that now I can go back and, and, and fit into, right? It almost like a book like that has been like really providential in that way. But doing that sort of work of understanding what I've done, because what I've done has helped people. And I think that's pretty amazing. And mm-hmm. so going through that and, and, and using that as fodder for other sessions, but also a way to write and communicate and talk through that kind of stuff. One thing that I realized I didn't say about what worked is stopping, stop writing a newsletter. I mm. unashamedly, I didn't even like make it a big thing. I just told myself, I can't, I need to stop doing this because I, I realized I was writing just to fill in words as opposed to it being mm-hmm. something I want to do. But mm. allow, giving myself permission to stop something where the streak, right? I've wrote, written something for five years straight is like the badge of mm-hmm. honor people have for me to have stopped it now has been really good for me. And going mm-hmm. back into 2022, I'm like, oh, I'm really excited to write about things because it gave me time to uh, refill. I was hearing this James Clear yeah. episode of him saying that writing is like driving a car and reading is filling the gas tank. You have to fill the gas tank in order to drive the car. And I really enjoy that analogy. And I think more and more doing things in seasons, right? Doing 12 newsletters and then taking a break and then doing like it's doing some form of that or not even saying it's going to be weekly. I think even when I start the the writing again, I'm going to try to do it. I'm going to write when I write it. It may be every three days, every four days, but don't have this pressure of a weekly thing and almost use it using sort of like that, like a variable response, variable reward kind of thing where you don't know when the next one's going to come <laughs> for people because yeah. everybody's on the schedule, you know, and just sort of have mine off schedule a little bit and giving myself room to play at least with um, my own newsletter is going to be helpful for me to do that. The other thing is I'm really, I'm really excited about greater stories and the podcast and other things that we want to do with it. I think it is for me, my, my intentions or what I love for it is to be a way to talk about these ideas more with more people and with you and, and, and other people that will interview and, and do those things. And so it's really, I see it, I'm starting to see it as more sort of like a, not just a podcast, but what does the media engine, not in the big media, but like if we could do it in all these different ways to help people and, and to bring our ideas through, like, what would that look like? And making that a big part of the effort that I have and the things that I want to do in sharing ideas and stuff would be really, that would be really cool for me to, to do more of. I've been trying not to look at my screen till like 10 a.m., not look at any screens until 10 a.m. I realized in the morning when I'm making coffee, I just sort of like scroll through Twitter or something like that. And doing it first thing in the morning, I honestly, it doesn't affect me. It doesn't give me anxiety. Like I think I've, I've whittled down things enough that I'm not reading vitriolic you know, whatever, whatever, you know, it's just really yeah. like web three random stuff. And in the morning, web three always says GM. It's always good morning. Everyone just says good morning to each other, which is cute, you know? So it's, it's, it's been really wholesome content, I would say, you know, for me to read and, and, and look at. And so I just do that, but even taking that away, maybe even reading, you know, I, I have a bunch of these like 365 devotional, like sayings or, or reading daily reading kind of stuff, maybe just doing that instead, but really being off my phone or any sort of screen for the first four or five hours of my day would be phenomenal. That would be phenomenal That's for me insane. to try and do. You can't That's imagine insane. that. You can't. <laughs> but I appreciate it because I realize the same way. Like if I don't have an hour to myself before getting in, I'm fucked. Yes. In terms of my anxiety. Yes. And my yes anxiety and any attention deficit thing and any yes. other mental illness is all fucking connected anyway. Yes. That right? hour would be where you write. Is that what it would be for you? I don't know. I don't know. It just. I just. I realize I need way more buffer time in between activities. Yeah. Even if the activity is waking up. Yes. You know. Yeah. Like there has to be some some moment in your day where you're not filled with anxiety about yeah. getting to the next thing. Yeah. Which yeah. is for me, it's like waking up, getting ready, and getting to my computer. That like that is filled with anxiety. So it'd be great if I could wake up, get ready for the day, sit down and then have like some time and then get, you know, it's just so fucking simple, but it, I don't know. It seems untenable at this point. Health wise, I have a gym around me that just opened up in November and Ooh. they're doing Muay Thai. It's a guy Ooh. that's been doing it for like 10 years. The co-owner the, the co does it too. And 
the guy's not a tool. Like he's a really chill guy. Like he does private lessons. He used to do like a, at the park, he would bring like kettlebells and do like, you know, mm-hmm. outside mm-hmm. work with clients and stuff. And, you know, they got together and they got the space right by me. They have a mat, really like nothing gym ratty tool about him. And my, and yeah, like it's just, and like all the other Muay Thai people I met, they're super cool. And it's just this like way of like, I did one class and places got sore in my body. I never knew there was like soreness. Like it's like, oh, like yeah. it just, so, oh yeah. but like I'm moving my body in a way I've never moved my body before. Right. It's, it's mechanics of moving. That's just the most, like you can see what it does when someone does it, but it's just, it's really weird. Right. And it's almost like when I learned to play drums, it's like a certain way to like these like mm. actions of moving your body yeah. until it click. Kick isn't a kick, man. It starts with the hip and the shoulders. Like it's this weird like thing. And I'm like, oh, yeah. it's it's really, in- it, it might be really interesting for me to do something like that to gain so a little more. Do- yeah, I'm going to try to gain. A- I, and then Omicron happened. And so like, you know, for two weeks, it, it, it hasn't been around. But like, I think it's super, like just confidence in my own body. Right. Having, I, I remember when I started lifting weights, like I just stood up taller because I, I knew how like I knew what it felt like to have a, a, a straighter back when you're moving, right? Just you you carry yourself a little bit differently when you're doing something like that. And so I was like, it's a safe space. I don't feel like I'm going to be like treated like, you know, you know, an overweight guy trying to kick a thing and like, you know, be whatever, mm-hmm. whatever bully that, you know, you feel like you're back in like junior high school, right? Trying to get mm-hmm. picked for the kickball team or something, <laughs> but it doesn't totally. feel that way. Becky's really into it. My wife is really into it. So... Oh. She's like, oh, you're coming with me. It's really, you know, it's really, really great. And so, yeah, that's some, I like, I need something like that. I need like a head fake, right? To really get into something and let that like get me fit, but also get me interested in something too. So short of going back and lifting weights, having something like that would be great. I really want to do something like that. Like punch something right for an hour. Wouldn't that be such a nice like? Yeah, no, that's that's a great idea. Don't do CrossFit or something though. Don't, I I feel like that's the first thing you would go to. (laughs) No, I'm over. I'm over all those hit stuff. Yeah, this was great. This was cathartic. Yeah, talking it through. It's really interesting, actually. I mean, if to me, it felt like very much like a Tim Ferriss episode, <laughs> where like you know he like talks about like the tools of Titans or I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I, I think I've always been uh, really weary and skeptical of just like tactics and tools podcasts or things like that, and I see why it's useful, but. I, and I'm coming to terms of like, we can go super deep and mushy and woo-woo and emotional. And then we can also go very tactical on on what that mm-hmm. looks like, you know, because yeah. it gave me yeah. a jolt when just giving you a couple of notion ideas and it's like, it clicked and it's like, wow, that's so cool. Like it actually like mm-hmm. filtered through your, your project management stuff, you know? And so, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I and, 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 and even though we're putting together like interviews and stuff, I think doing more of these sort of free freestyle conversations are really great but um and i think i I think it's like what the secret sauce is is there's a level of intention and experimentation that we're willing to do that maybe other people aren't yeah that's what's interesting about it yeah yeah definitely all right happy new year everybody thank you for listening to us uh, happy new year talk please be safe please yes we'll get through we'll get through this year let's see what See what 2022 is. I saw this meme that said, when you realize 2022 is just 2022, I, I choose no. to look at it optimistically. It's optimistic. Yes. Yes. I can't do that anymore. <laughs> All right. Talk to you guys next year. All right. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye.